Hi, and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello, welcome to 9 to 42, which is the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. And as always, my great friend Jason is on screen. Jace, how are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. I'm uh, I'm full of a cold, but it is a cold. It's uh, I've been from a PCR test. I am negative. Yeah, you got pinged, didn't you? I got pinged. Yeah, I got pinged yesterday. Went from a PCR. I didn't even know that was a thing anymore. Yeah, neither did I. It's just my phone just went, oh, you've been in close contact with someone. I'm like, where? I've sat on my own for days. Um, But yeah, got pinged. PCR test within 15 minutes. And then the results in less than 24 hours. So, uh, you know, I'm negative. Uh, Yeah, it's always a very unpleasant experience shoving those cotton swabs down your throat. But there we go. Well, at at least you're, you know clean at least i'm negative this is the third time i've been pinged and um and i've been negative on all of them have you ever done jury service i have and i had one Mm. of those cases that you never ever ever want to do right okay well don't go into that don't don't bring it don't bring it down (laughs) i was just what i was trying to get to well i've never been i haven't so far been pinged and i've never done jury service either I'm just lucky, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, because you can do jury service more than once, can't you? You can. And I, I was on jury service with uh, an old fella, and this was his third time of doing it. Right. And he loved it. Right. I mean, I just was like, oh, for God's sake, I just want to get out of here. It was a horrible experience. Um, but he loved it. It wasn't Henry Fonda, was it? <laughs> no, no. Right, okay. Um, yeah. Oh, just uh, try and push that sort of memory um, to the back. As far back as you can. Yeah, you know, you always say when you get jury surface, I'd really like something really open and shut, nice and easy, yeah. and not one of those cases. And I got a bit of twocking. You want a bit of twocking, don't you? <laughs> yeah, and uh, mine was complex and not fun to listen to. Right. Okay. Well, we'll leave that alone <laughs> before we get people tuning out because our numbers have been fairly good of late. We don't want to. Yes. We don't want to send it the wrong way. Um. And um, we haven't got a guest with us because it's already in the can, isn't it? It is. It is. So it, um, the week before we we put out the um, the sort of like the um, expanded version of the Bernard interview, yes, we, we'd sat down on a Friday night, both me and you, um, to talk to Rob Williams, um, guitar builder from Birmingham. We were chatting to him on Zoom. He now lives in Wales, uh, and his computer just would not. Whilst Rob was on the Zoom call, his microphone wouldn't work at all. Um, and after sort of like, I don't know, 45 minutes of us suggesting various things to him, it, it, it didn't work. So um, I thought the easiest thing to do was jump in my car and go and do the first face-to-face ever 9 to 42, which mm-hmm. was quite exciting. Yeah, because when when I did the ones that became the first couple of episodes, we didn't know what it was going to be at that point. No. We didn't even know it was going to be 9 to 42. We had no idea. We just, that was, and that was just capturing a bit of stuff at the show. This was the first time we've actually gone, one yeah. of us has gone to record an episode with somebody for a format and for everything that we know how it, how it is, how it turned out. Yeah, and, and I was so dedicated to the cause. I went during the petrol crisis as well. Yes, 
I mean, you risked being stranded in Wales. Well, actually, what I discovered was when I pulled into a petrol station in Wales, in the middle of nowhere, because he's in mid Wales in uh, Newtown, is that everybody in uh, the middle of nowhere drives a diesel, and I don't. So there was tons of petrol left, but no <laughs> diesel. Yeah, because the thing is, you know, you're a fairly good looking chap. You've still got all your own hair and all your own teeth. You could have been somebody's <laughs> special friend in Newtown, couldn't you? <laughs> Oh, I can dream. <laughs> I'm. I, I. I don't think it would have been a dream. I think it definitely was. Definitely a bit more Royston Vasey than that. I was thinking, but you know, well, yes. Anyway, the last we ever heard of you. <laughs> anyway, I filled up and drove home. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you did right uh, to do so. But yes, right. So so obviously, um, this is just you. This is you flying solo. I know. This is this is like the uh, a phone to Paul Stanley episode yes. where I flew solo. Yes. Yes. Those two names, Rob Williams and Paul Stanley, don't often come after each other in the same conversation, do they? Not often, no. No, no. Rob will be over the moon. <laughs> Paul Stanley less so. He, he's, it's not going to rock his world on a, no. on, a, on a Monday morning, is it? No. <laughs> well, well, we'll crack on and, um, and, and enjoy. Enjoy the, the, the Rob and Jace chat. But before we go, we need to remember to thank our sponsor. We do. Thank you, Focus Right. Thank you for everything. Um, I'm really looking forward to um, seeing them at the show because we've been chatting about what they're planning on doing at the guitar show in February and it's, it's seeming pretty good. So uh, there is talk as well that we may be doing 9 to 42 live on the Saturday night. So, ah. We'll have to wait. So I haven't told you about that, have I? No, you haven't mentioned that at all. So when you said this talk, we might be doing this, I was thinking, oh, bloody hell, I'm hearing it at the same time as everybody else. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Um, they they wanted to do it um, live at the show. And I said, Look, I'm, I'd love to, but actually I'm running the show. Hmm. Um, so um, we're, we're now talking about maybe we shut the doors at five o'clock on the Saturday evening. And then a select number of unfortunate souls can stay in and see us to interview uh, one of the Focus Right guests that they're bringing along. Oh, oh dear! I mean, that's going to be an event, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you do there? I mean, do you do, is, do you <laughs> raffle those tickets off? Is there an extra charge? Do we is is it is it what you get if you don't turn your amps down in the quiet bits? I don't know what's. <laughs> It should definitely be a punishment rather than <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think all those booths that don't turn don't turn the volume down when the when when the you know, when the siren goes have to be locked in with us to do the live nine forty two. Excellent. That'll work. <laughs> Wouldn't you start have any any idea on the guest? Are they bringing somebody uh, we've we've talked Is about... it Elton? Uh, no. <laughs> it's not a guitarist. Uh, I don't. I think we'd let it let it go for that one. <laughs> well, we? we probably would. Uh, no, we've talked about a few names, and uh, I won't say anything until it's right. confirmed. Right. Oh, that's dead exciting. Quite, quite exciting. Huh? Right. Um. So, and yes, thanks, folks. Right for everything. You wonderful, and um, you know, continue to be incredibly supportive, which is brilliant. Oh, and I did and... say I'd mentioned that they've got some new audio interfaces out. The Claret Pluses. So oh, I've right. done that. Okay. So okay. that was for you, Luke. I've done it. Right. Okay, Luke. And of course, if you want, if you want anybody to test them out, Luke, if you if you want, uh, you know, clearly what you're missing at the moment is a second and third opinion of those 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 interfaces. So you know, we can help you with that. <laughs> right. Should we just get right. on with the, the Rob Williams interview? Let's let's get on with Rob, and I'll catch you next time. All right. I'll see you soon, mate. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. <laughs> 
Hello Rob, welcome to the first face-to-face -face 9 to 42 ever. Really? <laughs> yeah. First one ever. But it's just, we've never had the opportunity to do it. We, you know, we, Ant did a couple of interviews at the guitar show, um, God, when was that? 2020. Right. Um, and then the plan was that we were going to go out and we were going to talk to people. And then lockdown hit. And you couldn't go out. And we couldn't go out. And actually, you know, Zoom has been a godsend because we've managed to talk to people all over the world. Um, but given the issues that we had on Friday night when we were going to record with you <laughs> and your computer just said no um, repeatedly, um, I thought I'd take it as an opportunity, given that I've been here before, to jump in the car and come and say hello. Well, it's good to see you. Yeah, I know. It's good to see anyone, isn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how the lockdown's been for you, but I mean, you are so wonderfully isolated here in the middle of Wales. I can't imagine the lockdown had any impact on your life whatsoever. Um, to a great extent, no, not a lot. Life didn't change a lot. Um, it was quieter, mm. you know, like a customer's, obviously, but um, but day-to-day -day sort of living, no, it was uh, pretty much business as usual, you know. So how, how, how did you get on during lockdown, you know, what was the guitar business like for you? Repairs died a death straight away, pretty much. Mm. Um, they came in uh, drips and drabs on carriers, uh, but nobody was coming here in person, you know? Yeah. Um, but I had new builds to go at, so plenty to do in the workshop all the time, you know, so... Yeah, I, 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 I suppose because you're in Wales as well, not England, so you've been locked down, I suppose, a lot harder than we have. Yeah, um, to be honest with you, Jason, it got to the point where you just stopped listening to politicians. <laughs> just use your common sense, don't yeah, you, yeah. you know? It's okay, it's against the law to do this, that and the other, and uh, it's, it was politics at the end of the day, they were just playing politics with it. Yeah. Um, same up in Scotland, in my view anyway, you know, but that's... Uh, that's neither here nor there. No, and uh, yeah, currently we're in the middle of a fuel crisis, so let's hope I can get home. Uh, yes, <laughs> apparently, even though there's no shortage of fuel. No, I was, I was quite pleased on the way here that I did see loads of petrol stations that had actually got queues of only about two or three cars. Yeah. You know. Well, we've had some rain today for the first time in a few weeks as well, so there'll be a weather crisis before five <laughs> o'clock Quite possibly. So I'm wanting to talk to you because, um, well, because I've known you for like 20 years or, or something, but yeah. I actually, I genuinely believe that you make some of the nicest guitars I've ever played. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, particularly the Les Paul, which I think is this one that's right by me in a glass case at the moment. Looking uh, lovingly at you. Yes, lovingly hey, at me. Jason, take me home. <laughs> take me home, take me home. Uh, no, uh, no, I can't buy any more guitars until I've run a guitar show again. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm well stopped. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was researching you um, for this, and it's almost as difficult as it is to find where you live, it's almost as difficult to find any information on you online. Is it? Yeah, the... the you don't really do social media, do you? There's just bits and I pieces. Um, I was I got into Facebook for a bit, and then it was it became like a full time job, just managing social media, you know, um, which was quite flattering in some ways. Yeah. But in other ways, it just became a complete pain. So uh, I don't bother, <laughs> you know. 
I should really, and I probably will again when the, when the time's right. You know, I'll do something on social media. Yeah, I, I think you should because you know well, it's the way that everybody finds everything these days, yeah, isn't it? And yeah, but you know what. I've got enough work. I've only got one pair of hands. Yeah. So it's like, how much work do you want? You know? And I'm 56. Do I want to be working flat out like I was when I was in my 20s and 30s? Not really. You know? So I'm comfortable. I'm at a comfortable level. <laughs> and I like it. You know? I mean, is this part of the reason why you left Birmingham and came to the middle of Wales? Yeah. Leaving Birmingham to get rid of the the stuff I didn't want to do really, yeah. concentrate on what I did want to do, which was the serious repair side of things and the vintage restorations and that sort of thing and building new guitars, which is obviously great fun. Yeah, so how, how does it work in terms of your business? What What is guitar sales? What is re- repairs? Uh, I'd say regularly probably about 60, 40 repairs. Mm. Um, this last year it's been pretty much well, I wouldn't say 100%, but 90% new builds, you know. Is That that must be more satisfying for you? Yeah. That they're yeah. buying a, a Rob Williams custom-made to their spec, it, really? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, I've But I do enjoy the repair side of it as well, I've got to say. I've, you know, I've got a 64 J200 on the bench at the moment that's... In several parts. <laughs> oh, that's a shame because I really like J200. Yeah, we'll have a little bit of nice guitar again before, probably before the end of the week, I would think. Oh, I should have come next week, shouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose, but the question is really, how did this start? Where did your love of guitars start? And then <clears throat> are you taking them apart before you start working as? you know, a guitar repairer or whatever, I mean... Yeah, um, I've always taken things apart. As far back as I can remember, I had the back off the TV set to see what made it tick. Yeah. Never figured it out. <laughs> but it was interesting, yeah. And it was one of those ones that glowed in the dark, you know. Oh, proper 70s yeah, one. Yeah, fascinating. Um, but I've just always liked tinkering with stuff, you know, so... And then were you sort of like inspired to play guitar by anyone or yeah all the usual suspects you know so you, you're what five five years older than me so you'd have been a teen mid 70s mid to late 70s uh 65 i was born <laughs> so yeah late 70s so what you mean like sort of like i suppose it's post-punk new wave at mm. that point is it yeah yeah i guess by the time i was allowed into nightclubs and things People have discovered keyboards, which was really disappointing. Yeah, I always regretted that bit of, you know... I, I, I get slightly confused when people um, have, like, 80s kind of, like, parties. Like, anybody our age, like, you get invited to, like, 80s parties. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really want to go to an 80s party. It's like a shit school disco for me. Yeah. And I spent most of my school discos walking up to the DJ going, got any Iron Maiden? <laughs> And then going, no, but we've got some soft sell or human league. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Turn it up. <laughs> no, well, it was thank God for the Birmingham Obion and Thin Lizzy Gigs and ACDC and Motorhead and all them good bands and Quartz and Saxon and all the brummies, you know. I, well, I, I was telling the students um, yesterday, I had my first sort of like lecturing gig yesterday, and I was saying that I went to my first gig when I was 11 and it was Adam and the Ants at the Birmingham Odeon. Oh. And I, I can't quite believe now that my parents just dropped me off 
Oh, well, off you go. And then we're like, we'll be here when it's finished. It's like, I would never have let my 11-year-old go to uh, get the Odeon. Did your parents know that you were an ant warrior? Uh, indeed. They actually bought me the uh, white paint to go across Fantastic. my nose. Uh, yeah. And then uh, that was 81, 82, I think, right. something like that. And then I, uh, I went the following year on my own. I, think, I seem to remember catching the bus uh, there. And um, first proper gig, the first gig that I genuinely count as like my first gig was um, Slade at the Odeon right. at Christmas. Oh, great. It was fucking brilliant. It was just incredible. It was like, because I'd been a, a season ticket for holder for West Brom um, up to that point. I was football mad until I kind of hit my teens and started discovering music. And um, it was like being on the terraces going to see Slade. They even came out for the encores with like toilet roll and like chucking it into the audience oh, and stuff like that. It's brilliant. And I was so, so, so into it that um, we just went to see the next band that was playing like three, four days later, which just happened to be White Snake. And it was so long ago, Coverdale had got brown hair, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know and spoke in a, an English accent. Um, and uh, that, was, that was it then. Um, I, and it was like a last minute ticket obviously because we got tickets a couple of days before and Cozy Powell was the drummer right. and we were on the very back row on the balcony upstairs and he did this drum solo that pyro came off it and I could feel the heat of the pyro on the back row upstairs Good and I was talking to Simon Bradley because uh, what's really funny is because I think it was before the NEC arena was built so Whitesnake were actually playing like six or seven dates at the Odeon yeah, yeah. and um, Simon Bradley had gone to one of them I mean we didn't know each other at the time but I think he said one of his mates lost his eyebrows because <laughs> they were further down the front <laughs> fantastic rustic <laughs> so, like, you, so you, you, you're into taking stuff apart you're into sort of like the, the rock band scene how, how do you start doing the guitar business uh, how do you start doing the guitar business? Well, I started tinkering with my own guitars, mm. you know. Um, so what were they? I mean, I mean, mine in the early 80s were Hondo. Mm, didn't have a Hondo, I had a K, something K. or other. Yeah. Um, and then I had an Ibanez. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, it was the Bob Weir signature model, it was a cracker. You came from the posh part of town. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I tried refretting that, and it all went horribly wrong. And that's kind of when I, I decided to start knocking on John Diggins' door at JD Custom Guitars. Yeah, and um, he would give me a few tips and send me packing, like. Mm. And of course, uh, a couple of weeks later, I'll be back knocking on the door again. You got any jobs, John? You know, no. And that carried on for a while until. One day, um, one of the guys was leaving, and uh, I was lucky enough to get his job. So, so this is John Diggins that was doing Tony Iommi's guitars at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not a bad place to start. No, it was the only place to start. I mean, certainly in Birmingham in the eighties. I can't imagine you'd have been anywhere else, would you? No, no, it was great. So, uh, so, what, so what do you do when you start working for John? I mean, assuming that you've done really terrible fret jobs at home. Um, well, the guy who I took over from was called Steve Morell, and he went out on the road as a, uh, a roadie or tech for um, 
Cliff Williams with is it Cliff Williams bass player ACDC AC yeah 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 and so that was his new job and I got his old one and basically the, the, the job was to do everything that came after the guitar had been painted Right. Once it left the spray shop, it was over to me to dress the frets, um, clean up the fingerboard, sand and polish the lacquer and get a finish on it, mm. and then assemble the guitar, make the pickups. Um, John used to make his own hardware at the time, so Blimey. polish up the brass and send that off for plating. You know, so it was all that stuff really that came after the, the spray gun. Yeah. Wow. And then, so I, I'm assuming, how long did you stay there? Uh, I think it was about 18 months. All right. Not long. Yeah. And it's, it's so you leave John Diggins. Is this when you move to the states? Yeah. Which is like a really ballsy move when you've only been doing it for eighteen months. Uh, yeah, I guess. Is but that opportunity came knocking, and you know, apart from having a job with John, there wasn't a lot else going on at the time. You know, it yeah. was a lot of unemployment. Particularly amongst the youngsters. Well, yes, I mean, I'd have probably been on a YTS scheme when you were working for yeah. John. Um, and I wouldn't dare suggest that I was being exploited, but youngsters' wages were low, mm. you know, and couldn't really see a way out of it. No. Um, so, uh, opportunity came along to go to California, and it was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take that with both hands, thank you. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, as someone who's been to California quite a few times to get to the NAMM show, I bloody love the place. <laughs> you see the, uh, the LA story where they go, and the weather is scorchio, scorch, you know, it's just sunshine, sunshine every day. Yeah, it's sort of cloud there once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, as I've driven to Wales in the driving rain today, <laughs> I quite fancy a bit of Californian sunshine. <laughs> yeah, it is nice. It is nice, the climate's good. So you were um, you actually knew the way to San Jose, right? You is that where you were working? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I was based. Um, so, flew into San Francisco, drove down to San Jose, um, and then started looking for work. You know, uh, first work I did there was cleaning up on a building site. Nice. Yeah, great fun. Um, and then I found Hideo Kamimoto, who was running a stringed instrument business, mm. renting out violins and cellos and what have you, you know, to, from everything from small kids all the way up. And part of his business was repairing guitars as well. So uh, I knocked on his door and asked him for a job, and he said, yeah, yeah, come and join us. So I did. So there's no green card requirements for anything, you just walk straight into, okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, just turn up and do it, you know, and uh, blag the rest. <laughs> so, so how long did you stay in the States? I was there four years. Wow. Yeah. And why did you come back? I'm British, you know, <laughs> and nice as it is there, it, it's not home, you know. Yeah. Yeah, is it, were, you do, were you doing that classic... I miss seasons and I miss baked beans and... Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. And just the, the sense of humour of people as well is, is different, you know. I mean, I would crack jokes and American guys would look at me and think, what are you on about? I, I, do, I find that a lot of the times when I'm at NAM that um, Americans don't... And this is a sweeping generalisation and it's probably not true of all. Um, 
But I think the New Yorkers have got a slightly closer sense of humour to what we have. Yeah. But by yeah. the time you get to California, they're also also damn serious all the time. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to a comedy club out there, um, <laughs> and I sat there like open mouth at just some of the stuff that this guy was saying, and everybody was rolling around in hysterics around me, and I just didn't get it, you know. It's just not funny. And I do, I do wonder whether what you know, you see. I mean, I, I like a big, big fan of Bill Hicks uh, when he came out. Um, you know, and he was so acerbic and angry comedy, and it just seemed way, and he and he seemed way more popular in Britain than he was in America. He must have been just such an oddity for them. Yeah, you know, quite liberal quite angry quite sweary and that goes very much against the sort of like American sort of like comedy sort of thing really so yeah the funny funny it's that classic isn't it we speak the same language but not really yeah yeah so that's why I came back to the UK and and so if I've got this right so after you come back you end up working at Patrick Hegel musical exchanges first right okay um Gary Chapman was my meal ticket back into the UK. Good old Gaza. Yeah, uh, I was back here for something or other. And I popped in to see him and see what the crack was, if he wanted to set anything up in as, as a repair mm. shop within the store, you know. And he's like, yeah, great, let's do it. So um, I came back and started the musical exchanges, did their repairs for 18 months, and then Patrick Eggles sales team walked through the door one day showing off what they'd got like and, and uh, ended up there. So I should explain to people who are not from Birmingham so Musical Exchanges was like this enormous just fantastic guitar store in Birmingham. Given that I was a kid I didn't understand that not every city had a musical exchanges. It was a bit of a one-off. It was a one-off um, but the guy that Owned musical exchanges. Can't remember his name now. Dave. Dave Quill. Dave Quill. Yeah. Also owned the building that was behind them. Concert lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Which so they were back to back with each other, and Patrick Cable guitars were being made in the the building behind, weren't they? Eventually, yeah. At the time, though, when I joined them, they were in Coventry. Oh, in Coventry. Yeah. So is this with Patrick himself, or is this after Patrick has sold it? Is it Gary Levinson that bought the business? Uh, no, this was with Patrick himself. They were just starting up there, yeah. I believe. Um, Patrick had been building his guitars for a while, but the, the premises they had in Coventry was fairly new, um, or at least it looked it to me, because it was posh. And, I suppose, actually, um, thinking about it, I mean... Um, Patrick can't have been very old at that point either. No, I, don't th I think Pat's slightly older than me. I was going to say, otherwise he's got some kind of like painting in the attic that's decaying because he looks bloody fantastic. <laughs> what, and I don't? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what do you do for... For Patrick, then you know what's the same as I did for JD, basically the final assembly setup, you know that sort of thing, um, and soon got further back into the production process, and ended up as all manner of job titles before I left there. Yeah, which is including factory manager, technical director, director of this, <laughs> director of that, manager of this, that, and the other, and everything else that goes on. You know, yeah. so it was. Um, Ended up man managing really, 
which isn't me. So that's no, left. I mean, I've known you for a long time. I wouldn't have seen you as a man manager. No. <laughs> I can tell by your face right now <laughs> that it's not part of the job that you've enjoyed. No, I'm a hands-on dude. You know, I like to get bits of steel and sharpen them up and cut things up with them and mm. and uh, that sort of thing and make dust and mess. And so, I suppose. How long were you at Eggle for? Uh, I think about four years. About four years. Yeah. And then it's at that point that you launch on your own Woodworm guitars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Woodworm Music Products, which was a very short-lived venture, but only because I didn't like the name, really. Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember them being around, I suppose. Yeah. They, yeah, I do. Were they, they were in stock somewhere. It might have been at Musical Exchanges, to be honest. I remember seeing some of them. I'm fairly certain Gaz has showed me some in the past, which is you know before we'd met, sort of thing. Right. Because it's the logo. It was a little worm logo, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is the best part about it. Really. <laughs> but and then you you decide to drop woodworm and just go under your own name. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I suppose I suppose one of the questions that I kind of asked is you know what's your philosophy for guitar building? I think your most famous model, which I'm kind of looking at, is like a set neck. S-type guitar? I guess, yeah. Um, I do a lot of those. And every other type as well, you know. I mean, I know you do everything, but that's the kind of thing that I always associate with you. Yeah, posh guitars. I do yeah, posh guitars, and I know you laugh at me when I talk about I like knackered, finished guitars. Uh, I've just been telling Rob about a parts caster I've built, and the look of horror on his face when I said, so it's a knackered sunburst followed by Aztec gold spread over the top and then rubbed off. Sounds delightful. It is beautiful. <laughs> but, I, I could, I would really like to see it. Yeah, <laughs> should have bought it with me. Yeah. God, I've been so excited. Yeah, yeah, I know. You are like, oh, great. Yeah, you clearly just bolted this together from bits. <laughs> but, yeah, so what is the, you know, what is the philosophy behind the sort of what set neck S-type? Um, the philosophy is just to make guitars better than anybody else, you know. Mm. Um, irrespective of the shape, of whether it's bolt-on neck, set neck, it doesn't matter, just to make a guitar better than anybody else, you know. And to make it to the best of my ability. Let's take the um, the LP type that's sitting there in the case. That's a gorgeous kind of slash amber kind of colour. How do you how, how do you take a Les Paul and go? I can make that better. And what do you do to make it better? Um, have you played many Les Pauls? I've played fucking hundreds of them. And it's only in the last couple of years that I've found a couple that I think I will keep. Well, they're really getting their act together. Oh, not not modern ones. In fact, the two that I've got that I'm, I've kept is a 1982 Greco Les right. Paul and a 1990 Orville Les Paul. Right, well, if you look at the late 90s Gibsons and you ask the question, what can you do to make it better? <laughs> the answer, with respect, is... Pretty much anything, you know, because they weren't great, you know. No. You know, they are getting better now. I've seen some good ones lately. I mean, um, but just from a playability point of view, I mean, I was always led to believe that Gibson didn't do much in the way of fret dressing and setting the guitar up when it left the factory. That was mm -hmm. down to the, the end user or the shop. You yeah, know? yeah. 
um, which of course when it arrives in the UK retailers aren't on the same level as guitar retailers in the States so mm-hmm. it never gets done no so just finishing the thing off is a, a good place to start you know yeah yeah I do. I've always I've had many Les Pauls over the years and they've come and gone because I've Les Paul feels like home to me uh, more than any other guitar I pick up a Les Paul and I'm really comfortable and I can play it um but I've always been really disappointed with the sound of them. And I don't know whether that was the pickups or the cheap wood that was being used when I was, you know, having bought a few newer, new Les Pauls in the 2000s, 2010s or something. I mean, I did actually have, uh, at one point, a custom shop, Les Paul Custom, that would have been 3,800 quid, I think, when it came out. I mean, I bought it secondhand. Um, and I sold it about six months later for the same money that I bought it for because it was the worst sounding Les Paul I'd ever heard. I, and I was and I bought it with my eyes, which is a terrible thing. I walked into a guitar shop, um, they got it. It was pristine. I mean, you couldn't tell it was secondhand. It was absolutely stunning. And you look at it, and Les Paul Customs is my favourite looking guitar of all time. And I just went, I'll have it. Uh, and and I'd got an Orville. Les Paul custom at home which cost 236 quid off eBay and it blew this what would have been a four grand Les Paul out of the water <laughs> you know just like and it, I don't know is it the 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 Orville would have been uh, made in Japan so it's probably got better quality control it old growth wood rather than forced growth wood I don't know just the subject of timber selection you know if you're producing however many hundred Les Pauls a month they make, and I don't know what the figure is. Yeah, thousands probably. But you can't pick the nicest piece of wood for everyone, can you? No. You know? So stuff like timber selection, when you're doing one-off custom stuff, you can afford to be really picky, whereas in a production environment, you've got to get the numbers out, you know? Yeah. So do you, when, you're, when you're buying wood, um, I'm assuming you go to a wood shop, I don't know. <laughs> you go to a wood shop and it's just full of racks of wood. Are you there kind of like tapping them and does, it, does that work? I mean, I've seen people do it, but I have no idea whether they're just doing it for the sake of doing it. Uh, yeah, touching and feeling and weight is a big factor. Mm. Um, grain orientation, is it straight grain? Is it all knotty and gnarly? You know, you don't want that bit. Yeah. So yeah, just uh, get your hands on it and have a look, you know. Yeah, and uh, do you use, um, you know, when you're building a Les Paul type guitar, are you doing the the same sort of processes, I suppose, as they would have done in the 50s when they started making them? You know, I mean, are we talking high glue and all that sort of stuff? No, I don't use high glue on a Les no. Paul. I'd use a water-based adhesive. Mm. Um, and as with any water-based adhesive, it soaks into the timber, you know, so the end result is not far off the only advantage of high glue is you can take it apart you know but this idea that these modern adhesives leave a rubbery glue line is a bit of a fallacy really it's, it doesn't work like that if you've got your joinery correct you know um, which has to be correct then it's all good okay so it, were there any sort of like actual ergonomic designs that were changed on the Les Paul or Perhaps a more severe carve on the top, and that's about it, you know. Yeah, that's one of the things I noticed when I bought my Greco um, sort of thing. But like it's got that dished 
top yeah. on it that sort of I suppose in the same way as we were talking earlier about strats and the, the lack of contouring that's on a modern strat compared to a your 57 yeah. strat that you've got that it just comes down to time money effort by the the big boys yeah it just seems it seems such a shame to me because they're so when you actually play an instrument that has those additional carvings they just feel so much nicer and more ergonomic to pick up and play, really. Yeah, it's just you can see somebody's gone the extra mile with it and yeah. made it really nice. Yeah. And I suppose that's why you end up with Fender Custom Shop and Gibson Custom Shop, which are just selling guitars like people actually want to buy. But actually, I think some of the Epiphones and the Squires are actually probably more closer to the original than, you know... Some of the Mexican and USA-made products, which is bizarre, really. Mm. You know, I, I went to Nam 2020, and I played the new range of Epiphone Les Pauls. I actually thought they were better than the current range of American Les Pauls. Right. You know, it was just like, I don't get this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's hard to comment, really, because I don't go into guitar shops anymore. You know, it's... Uh... I can't imagine there's one within about... 100 miles of you here. There is actually, yeah. There is? Yeah, there's one in Newtown, yeah. Wow. Yeah, how about that? Did you just go in and buy strings? <laughs> I do repairs for him. Oh, right, okay. And uh, I haven't been in much since, um, since the pandemic kicked off, obviously. No, I, I went into. Well, I, mean, I don't go into like guitar, guitar on a Saturday and look around at those Pauls and Strats. And well, I don't really see there's much point for you, is there? No. Really? No. Although I did buy a new guitar in lockdown, which I told you about. Yeah, yeah, so tell me about this new guitar. Gibson. Gibson. 1937 L50. Fantastic thing it is. Amazing. Yeah. That's one of the huge bodied ones, is it? It's an F-hole thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's killer. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've not played many vintage Gibsons, uh, mainly because they never kind of come across them and I can't afford them anyway. But I, we went to... Um, Nashville to Summernam 2019 and you know did what everybody goes to Nashville is interesting guitars and went to um, a Gruen's um, sort of guitar shop Rumble Sea and ended up at Carter Vintage and um, I, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast that I was playing I think it was like a 1953 J50 right and it it was just the most glorious sounding acoustic guitar I'd ever heard in my life it was just incredible at the time uh, I think it was $3,790 which you know would have been about three grand with the sort of exchange rates which I thought was amazing value um, but it was in the middle of the CITES sort of like thing that was going on so I'd never have got it back without you know a, a a ton of paperwork. Yeah, and a load of grief off the authorities for just buying a guitar. Yeah. But uh, there was something really magical about those old Gibsons. Mm, I've seen quite a few lately. Um, I saw a... Uh, it was a J45 made during the war years. Oh, right, yeah. When all the guys went off to fight a war and all the girls were left in the factory mm. making it. And there were some things about it which were a little bit odd and tatty on the inside, you know. Um, but the... The top was a one-piece mahogany top, <laughs> which is just incredible. You know, you just don't see that sort of thing these days. No. 
and uh, I wonder how long it's going to be before we start seeing three-piece tops on acoustics and that sort of thing because you just can't get the the timber big enough, you know. Yeah, have you? I mean, do you use the traditional materials? I mean, we're talking maple caps, mahogany bodies, mm -hmm. Brazilian rosewood, stuff like that. Not Brazilian rosewood, no. You can't use that anymore. Oh, you can't you? No. So, I mean, um, wouldn't know where to get it. Uh, I think there's a guy in the States that sells it, but, I mean, it's paperwork heavy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would be, yeah. I mean, if you thought about, you know, moving forward, more sustainable types of wood, English grown. I have a piece here. So you just handed me a, a piece of wood yes. that seems to be incredibly light. It is. It's called polonium. Polonia. Yeah, and it's plantation grown in Spain, and it's an alternative, I think, possibly to swamp ash. So now I can imagine a Telecaster made out of that stuff, perhaps with a, a quarter-inch ash cap on the top of it, mm. and maybe one on the back as well because it's a bit soft. But it'll look like an ash Telecaster. It will feel nice in light like a swamp ash telecaster should yeah and uh but it isn't swamp ash because it's hard to get at the moment yes yeah i read about that i've got um i've got a telecaster that i built i say built bolted together that uh, has a sugar pine body i don't really know okay. what sugar pine is i'm assuming sugar pine is pine um and, and it is incredibly light and yeah. really resonant yeah yeah but, it, I mean, it, like you say, you can put your nail into it because it's so soft. Um, but because I don't care that my guitars are beaten up, <laughs> I don't really care that it's it's trashed. But, um, yes. So is this something that you're looking to do sort well, of going forward? I think it's uh, essential that we all look at doing something alternative to just using the same old materials. Mm. Um, I remember when I was in the States, Mark Brown, he was on the road with the Doobie Brothers for God knows how long. And I forget which particular Doobie brother it was. One of them. <laughs> one of the brothers. Yeah, one of them had um, his guitars made by Mark and he would make them out of spruce. Oh, right. So it's not far off your sugar pine, you know? Yeah. Uh, and great sounding guitars. You yeah. know, nice and light and vibrant, you know? Um, so it's it's time to start doing things a bit differently, I think, and, and get away from the traditional materials which are getting scarcer and scarcer or more and more scarce, whatever it's correct grammar is yeah when when's the first build uh hopefully for the show in february excellent i'll look forward to that yeah do you want me to write your name on it no uh -huh. no i don't i don't need that Les Paul yeah i do want you to be a Les Paul at some point but i say i've got to run a show first and you know fingers crossed and touch wood that it will happen <laughs> in um february but you know I was um, I was chatting this morning to a mate of mine, James, and he's one of the owners of the 2000 Trees Festival. And, you know, as a fellow event organiser, um, you know, we were, we were actually talking to some students and we were trying to explain um, how weird the last couple of years have been for event organisers. You know, I was really lucky when we went to lockdown, the guitar show had just been three weeks before, so um, I, I felt less under pressure you know that self-employed weird pressure that never really leaves you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and his festival um 2000 trees would have been july that year but of course we were in lockdown yeah um 
and they were really lucky that a lot of their fans uh, of the event had just transferred their ticket over to 2021. And then, of course, by the time uh, 2021 rolls around, I think they were they were predicted to be the initial. That's right. The initial end of lockdown was supposed to be on Boris's kind of route mat out of this, wasn't it? It was the end of June. And then, of course, they pushed it another four weeks, which yeah. took out July, which meant that they couldn't run their festival again. Right. And uh, so, you know, he's looking at 2022, and it's just kind of really weird. He was saying how lucky they were because they got Arts Council funding, and I just didn't qualify because I'm just not big enough. Right. Um, but that money, when it came through, it kind of eased the pressure of... Because they are, they're a company, you know, they're not just one man. There's like six yeah, yeah. of them that work there. Um, so, I, you know, I, I really, really hope that we can in February. I just, you know... Yeah, likewise, the last one was a bit strange, wasn't it? Some people were very cautious. Other people were wandering around with gay abandon. <laughs> and... Uh, it was just difficult to know what to make of it all at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, it, it was. I mean, it just see, in some ways it just didn't seem real, did it? No, it didn't. And if it is real, it'll be all over and done within a few weeks, perhaps a month. Yeah. Uh, and I, I kind of... Uh, I, I spent the first um, sort of six months... Um, just going, yeah, well, but of course the next show will be on, you know, this will be all over and everything, but, you know, um, I came off, or I come off furlough um, this week, right. um, having furloughed myself. Um, this was the joy, when I sat down with my accountant like, three or four years ago, it was like, like it's, there's two ways you can do this, both of which are fully legal and above board with HMRC, so you can do it this way and pay less tax or you can do it this way which is the morally correct way to do it and I'll be perfectly honest I umdenard over the morally correct way or the pay less tax and then in the end in the end I did actually go for the morally correct way to do it and and thank god that's kind of saved me because it allowed me to furlough myself so I'm an employee of my own business okay so I furlough myself and so furlough ends at the end of September so I'm I've been doing one day a month um, on the guitar show since um, furlough started uh, and I, I am really looking forward to it I was going through the um, my inbox uh, the other day and I was pulling out all of the bookings and I was putting them onto the floor plan and then I was like oh, I need to create a budget I haven't created a budget for two years and, and so on and actually it's 70% sold Excellent. which is amazing and yeah, you know yeah, Marshall are talking to me about celebrating their 60th birthday which is next year at the show and stuff so I really I need to do it as well um, I haven't run any I haven't run an event for two years I haven't not run an event since I was in my 20s and I'm in my 50s now right. and it just seems like a really odd thing to do not to run an event especially as I lecture in how to run events <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like well this is how I used to do it you know and it's yeah. just kind of you know it'll come round though and it'll be back and you know, worst case scenario is it has to move from February to May or, or whatever. No. But I, you know, I'm planning. Which in my view, wouldn't be a bad thing because Six Nations rugby is always on. I'm aware of this, but the reason why I chose February was because it meant that we, the show got all of the new releases from Nam. Right. You know, 
because of the time whilst I'm really important in Birmingham oh it's really important it's really important for me um, because like the magazines don't come out because they get back from NAM at the end of January and obviously has to write them, you know, and produce the magazines, print them and get them distributed. Wow, so how old fashioned. I know, it's really old fashioned. And of course that doesn't really make much sense these days, um, because of the internet. But you know, you go back to when I started doing the guitar show and the internet whilst it existed was less pervasive in all of our lives sort of thing. So yeah, non existent. Well, I was, I, was, I was laughing with the students the other day and I was telling them that I was the first person at the NEC that got the internet. I, and I had to sign a contract that could have been summed up as don't look at porn. Uh, <laughs> but it was, a, it was effectively like a book-thick contract. So what you said, what's porn? Uh, yeah, and, and, it, and it seems so weird that, you know, you, when I started running events, like, the internet didn't exist. We just right. put adverts in magazines and newspapers yeah. and hoped and prayed people would turn up. And thankfully they did. <laughs> yeah. I remember that first one at the NAC as well. Yeah, and it just seems it's just well, it's another lifetime ago. Yeah. And now, you know, now it's sort of like you communicate with with people. Uh, you know, I've developed friendships with some of those people that started communicating with me over Facebook years ago, and, and so on. And it's just it's a very very different world. It's a different world for those students that when they finish their degree, that they will go off and enter a world where. You no longer work nine to five. That's what I did at the NEC. Five o'clock, clocked off, went home. Right. There was no way of communicating with me other than phoning my house. And I don't expect visitors to the music live to be phoning my house yeah, sort of yeah. thing. But now, you know, I find myself answering questions at, you know, midnight because people are still messaging. It's just, like, it's a very different yeah, world. Yeah, you've got to be quite disciplined, I think. It's... Um in two ways, when you're self-employed, you've got to be disciplined to actually get up and do it. Mm. You know, but then you've got to be disciplined to switch off as well. Yeah. You know, you have to draw the line, and um, I tend to make a point of doing that. You know, end of the day, six o'clock, get out the the workshop, shut the door behind you, and go and do something else. That's because you don't do social media. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if I did social media, I would go and sit down and and be on social media all night. Yeah. Working. And that's not healthy. No, no, I accept that. I mean, I, th I think that um, I'm quite willing to do that for the next show because I'm right. just so desperate to kind of do it. Well, I suppose if you're making that kind of effort, then I ought to do something as well, hadn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because your stand is always really popular. I mean, uh, you know, I think it's really popular because of the guitars but also because you're right next to the bar which I'm yeah. aware is a deliberate choice <laughs> well can I say <laughs> it works anyway we should probably wrap up because we've been rattling on for like 45 minutes have we really we have indeed and these things we try and keep and them under an hour spoken about this Les Paul you want to um, yes one day you will and then you'll get really offended when I say that looks beautiful can you rough it up a bit and you'll be like I'm the wrong man for that yeah that's right. It's up to you to go and gig it. Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got, what a gig is. I've got a gig. Have you? I've got a gig. Yes. In at the end of October, um, a mate of mine has bought a venue, um, a multi-purpose venue. He'll be running one of arms of his business out of it during the day, doing conferency type stuff. But upstairs is like a proper 
pub venue. So, and I know he listens to this. So, hi, Dave. Um, hi, Dave. Yeah. Uh, so he's in Landudno, um, and uh, yes, he's um, October the twenty second. I'm, I'm playing a solo set, like just me and an electric guitar. I am frankly terrified. <laughs> That's brave. <laughs> uh, I've, I don't know what to do without having a bass player. I can chuck nasty looks at when I've made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I've been um, I've been rehearsing in um, in Madhouse in Birmingham on my own, really, um, because you have to understand that sitting on the sofa and singing is very different to hearing your voice coming back yeah, over a PA system yeah. and stuff. Well, we've got a gig too. Have you? Yeah, Saturday night down in uh, the local village at the pub there. So, Excellent. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everybody I've spoken to that's done a, a gig since sort of like lockdown has gone, I was terrified beforehand, but muscle memory kicks in. Does it? Yeah. And, and they're all being like... Good. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that's... Um, yeah, I think it is really interesting. I mean, I went back to the, say, the Madhouse for my first rehearsal and having not played these songs for like a couple of years, although I, I fluffed a couple of them, it, it was kind of like, I can't believe my fingers are going to the right place without having played them for two years. So you'll be fine. Good. I feel much better about it. <laughs> yeah, you'll be good. So anyway, thank you very much. And thank you for doing the very first face-to-face. Oh, thank one. you for coming. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. And, um, Until I'd... February, I guess, and then uh, showtime. Yeah. Excellent. I'll see you then. All right, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Hold up. 